Welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Chelsea Dang, a second grade student teacher from Los Angeles, California, as we'll be discussing the importance of inclusion and representation. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back. Today's guest is Chelsea Dang, a second grade teacher from Los Angeles, California. And welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing um, well. Just had um, a full day of student teaching and now I'm just working on a couple of lesson plans and also just trying to do a little bit of self-care and hopefully go to the gym later. Yeah, yeah. self-care is uh, really, really important. Um, Yeah, that... uh... Yeah, I've been trying to exercise as well, mostly with my dog. But you said you're going to the gym? Yes. Okay. How's the, I mean, how's how's it going to the gym now? I know for a while they had like little bubbles. I've seen people put up bubbles and now uh, some gyms have resorted to going outside as well. Um, yeah. How's the gym life over there? Um, so where I'm at, um, the they have a gym set up outside, but we do have to wear masks at all times. It is a little frustrating because you have to wait for your turn so um, to use some of the um, equipment, but it's good to just get a little uh, workout in, especially with my busy schedule. Yeah. What else do you do? I mean, besides exercise, what else do you do for self-care? Um, I do a lot of uh, journaling. Um, I'm actually a dancer, so I used to do um, competitive hip hop dancing. So um, I've been renting out like studio space to just freestyle and just let loose. Um, but it's been kind of hard just because of everything that's going on. But um, those are basically kind of the things that I do for self-care. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know you were dancing. Do you, do you dance in the classroom too? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like dab a little bit with the kids. <laughs> since they uh-huh. like that. Do the floss. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I, uh, yeah, I'll definitely say I'm, I'm with the little one. So I definitely do like the dancing aspect, like being really, really, really silly. Uh, and sometimes dancing bad on purpose so that the kids can get a good laugh or so that they can show me the right way how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I think right now you, you're teaching a hybrid model, right? Yeah. So I am in a um, hybrid setting. So we have half of the students online and half of the students in person. Mm, I see. It's a, what's it? It's cohort style, cohort style. Or is it like a B schedule? No. So the kids actually stay there. So the kids online and the kids um, in person stay there all day. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. I've seen mm-hmm. some of the schools are doing like an AB schedule. So they see students one day and then they see students the other day. And so my friends that are doing that, sometimes they get mixed up. Like they, uh, you know, they forget what cohort or what group they're teaching that day. And then sometimes they'll ask the class like, wait, did, did I teach this already? <laughs> uh, I can, I can definitely see the confusion, but yeah, it seems like, uh, it seems like you can't get confused with the, you know, the model that you're doing right now. Yeah, that would be confusing. I think we have in common, both of you are, I guess, products of the Cal State uh, universities. I think you graduated from Cal State LA, right? Yes. And I am from Cal State Long Beach. Uh, we won't debate which is better, but <laughs> you're, <laughs> you you received a, a bachelor's in urban learning, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about what this degree is? Um, okay. Yeah. So I did graduate from um, Cal State LA. I actually started my academic journey at um, San Francisco State. And then I transferred um, to Cal State LA to move back home because I kind of needed to get it together. Um, So I found my passion for teaching through this program, actually, um, because it really touched base upon like um, urban areas and how the there's a lot of like academic um, achievement gaps. Um, it really focused on what you can do to, um, I guess, teach students in those areas. How can you um, give them the same education as students that are like in better areas or um, that have the funding to provide for uh, the students learning? So um, it was very eye opening to see um, all the things that I was able to learn from that. And um, it made me 
want to actually take the step of wanting to teach in these urban areas and help these students that need it the most. Um, okay. How would you say your I guess, education was growing up? Um, well, I actually went to a private school, um, kinder through eighth grade, and then I went to um, a public high school. So I guess you could say that I got the, like I was able to receive like a really good education because my parents were able to afford private education, obviously. Um, but just being able to be in classrooms now where things are very different from when I was, um, when I was in school. And, um, it just made me feel like I'm very grateful that I was able to have these experiences and I want to be able to provide that for this, for my future students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, I think you would describe yourself, you know, being really proud of your heritage. You're uh, what Filipino Vietnamese, right? Yes. Does, uh, does this have an influence in your classroom or I guess the way you teach? Um, I would definitely say like being, uh, how would you say this? Like, uh, being like more like culturally relevant and being open to like learning about new cultures, um, being able to show my culture. I know that growing up, I didn't really see a lot of my people in books that we would read or be exposed to like different like how some um, cultures are able to talk about like for example my school celebrated Lunar New Year so um, I thought that was like really eye-opening because growing up I never learned about that so the students had the opportunity to learn about that Um, so I think just adding in my own um, culture will help students be able to feel comfortable with sharing their own culture of like where they come from and their traditions so that's definitely something that I want to implement within my classroom. Mm, yeah, that's good. Right? That, I definitely had some teachers where they were super proud of their heritage, like a big flag as soon as you come into the classroom. I don't know, you know, pictures of their travels, you know, their family from, uh, you know, from their native, you know, the homeland. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen some teachers that are you know, super, super proud. And they tell the students, you, know, you should be proud as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of jokes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm like that. I'm definitely uh, proud of my heritage, but I don't know if I'm, you know, willing to put like a giant, like 50 foot banner or flag in my classroom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, last year I was in Garden Grove and the big population is uh, Hispanic and Vietnamese. You know, there's a huge Vietnamese population there. And I didn't know, but I like, quickly took a quick research, quick search of the last census and the you know, American community survey. And I guess Garden Grove is the second city with more than 10,000 Vietnamese uh, Americans. The first is San Jose. Um, third is Houston, Texas. And uh, a little bit more fun facts for you. Um, the U.S. Department of Education and the National Center for Education Statistics and Schools and Staffing Survey basically say that only about like 2% of teachers in public um, and secondary uh, elementary schools are actually Asian. And so I was you know, kind of reflecting like what you said, you didn't really see yourself uh, you know, represented, I guess, in your education or education. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we, uh, and then I did a little bit of more uh, research, a little more digging around and I found that they were comparing uh, these statistics um, back a decade or so from the 1999 to 2000, where basically there was not uh, any information available. So oh, you wow. know, it must have been way less than 2%. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think about these numbers? Um, it's definitely shocking, to be honest. Um, it, but it also doesn't surprise me. I feel like um, it's not like I would have to say that growing up, I n- never really had a teacher of color. I didn't have one until maybe high school, but I didn't have one that looked like me, like of my descent until I went to college. So I think um, it's just more of like um, more teachers of color, like coming to see that our um, our future students need more um, leaders that look like them. Um, and I feel like that's I don't know. That's just very eye-opening and shocking. <laughs> but now that I um, that I'm working in um, in a Mandarin immersion school, um, I do see a lot of um, Asian teachers, which is very nice to see. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, same like you. It wasn't until high school until I had you know, an actual teacher of color. Um, yeah, this is, you know, it's kind of a big shock you know, for the United States being such a diverse 
you know, country. It's kind of shocking. Like, you know, why do you have to wait all the way until high school to actually, you know, have a teacher that that represents or even looks like me. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you're going back. So I was looking at the, you know, the the census and the data. And then the more numbers that I got was basically, you know, Hispanic teachers represented roughly about 9%, which is an increase uh, from 6% from the uh, 1999 to 2000 data. Um, White teachers actually decrease uh, from 84 to 79%. And black uh, teachers decrease as well from eight to seven percent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if we look at the whole United States as a whole, uh, the last census had about 18% of the population being Hispanic, 13% being black and nearly 6%, I think it was like 5.7, um, being Asian. And then there was a 3% for those who were uh, identified as two or more races. Um, and then, and if you're curious, 72% was, was white, but yeah, like I said, you know, earlier, you know, for the United States being so diverse, uh, again, why, why isn't there, you know, a lot more representation, you know, diversity in you know, public K-12 education? I don't know. Why do you think this is? Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's very interesting now, like looking at the numbers as to why there's not a lot of teachers of color. And I feel like a part of me feels like um, this is just me of a, of a teacher of color that is coming into this profession. Like I feel like intimidated because growing up, all I saw were um, white teachers. And I feel like in my mindset, they are the only ones that can really teach us. And I don't know why I see it that way. And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to become a teacher because I wanted to be that one person that a student looks at and is like, I can be you one day. Like I see my, who I am and you're my ethnicity. And I could be in that same place where you are. Yeah. I've definitely heard, you know, stories where, you know, the teacher has such a big influence on a student and that student says, Oh, I want to be a teacher. And when I grow up, I want to be a teacher like you, but you know, the student, the teacher of different ethnicities, but you know, in a situation like this, you know, where I have, I mean, where I work is predominantly Hispanic um, and black. And so you know, when Hispanic students, you know, they say, I want to be like you, I feel like it's an even bigger connection because they see me and them, not just as a teacher, but maybe as a Hispanic teacher, like you know, mm-hmm. Hispanic person like them as well. Um, and I know you said earlier that, you know, growing up, you know, most of you teachers were white and same thing with mine, uh, again, it wasn't until high school until I had uh, a little bit more diversity and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically again, going back to the numbers, the, the U S department of education noted that only about like 20% of public schools, uh, public school principals are minorities. Um, I, you know, I, I know for most of, we think of principal, we think of, you know, someone who's white and at my school, I'm glad there's diversity. Uh, my, my principal's black. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting you know, when the teachers in the classroom don't represent the majority of the population in that, in that district or in that community or in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, my community right by the LAX Inglewood area. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Hispanic and, and black. And so you know, I would find it interesting if it was, you know, mostly white teachers and you know teachers that don't actually represent what the community is made out of um but yeah and then uh i mean this is a little off topic but i am i guess full disclosure i'm I'm a i'm a big fan of the la galaxy right they're right here in carson california and since this is black history month they've been sending out these emails these newsletters uh, trying to promote these black businesses in the carson area uh i i you know i like that i like how they uh you know they're promoting you know here's a local restaurant you know here's a local uh nursery and they just i like how they're really you know pushing for that and you know it's important to show that black people or even people of color can be successful and you know i like empowering the local communities and by me spending my money and black owned businesses or minority owned businesses and it feels good. I'm closing the, the racial wealth gap. Um, I don't know if you remember, was it like two years ago or three years ago when uh, Black Panther first came out? There was a whole movement of, uh, I think the hashtag movement was like, I, I saw myself or young black mm-hmm. children could see themselves like, oh, here's, here's a superhero that looks like me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a big deal. And same thing with these, uh, you know, again, right now it's Black History Month. And so when they're pushing that message across on social media and to all their fans, you know, you know, 
black people can be successful, you know, business people as well and minorities. And I really like the message of setting across. And there's actually a, a study back in 2017 that actually showed the, you know, the exposure between same race teachers and students actually led to lower uh, office referrals um, for willful defiance across all grade levels. So K through 12, um, when the teacher and the student were of the same ethnicity, of the same race, then there is less uh, defiance basically. And so I guess in, in that situation, the students and the, and the teachers were able to better relate, better you know, understand each other and come to an agreement that, you know, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here for you. Hey, we can do better. You know, so much more, um, you know, even in the situation where a teacher would be like, you know, I used to be like you, you know, I used to get in trouble or like um, just that whole connection. And you know, basically that led to less uh, disciplinary uh, issues. And then there's another study back in 2017 uh, in North California, in North Carolina, if you wanted to. Um, actually, this study was from 2017 in North California, North Carolina, if you wanted to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Did, I mean, growing up, did, did you ever feel, I guess, you know, like you said, you didn't have really teachers who, you know, who were teachers of color until high school. But did you ever feel like your teachers couldn't maybe relate to you or connect or understand the certain experiences that, that you had? Um, yeah, like I feel like um, a lot of them couldn't really understand sometimes like where I was coming from or like uh, why I did certain things. And it was just like a culture thing, like they just weren't used to it. Um so yeah, most definitely. I feel like uh, it was it made a huge impact on um, like my want to go to school because I felt like I was always um, I was a student that would get sent to the office a lot because I would question a lot of things. But it's just because you know, as a kid, you're very curious about why we're doing certain things, and I think just taking the time to actually tell to like to say like, oh, we're doing this because of this. But instead, I was always sent to the office because I was being disruptive or I wasn't listening. Um, so most definitely, I felt like I wasn't really understood as a student. Yeah, we're you know, we're curious individuals. We question everything by nature. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, they uh, they sent you to the office for asking what, what kind of questions did you ask? Do you remember? Uh, I can't remember. Like it, it, I think it also has to do uh, with the fact that I went to a private school. And um, majority of our teachers were nuns too. So I felt like, yeah. So that was also another <laughs> like step of, yeah. So that was something. Um, I It would just be like, well, why do we have to do this? Like, what is the reason behind this? Um, and they would just think that I was being disruptive or acting out. So then they would send me to the office. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, back in the uh, you know, earlier, I mentioned back in high school, um, I had a lot of respect for my math teacher. I, I don't remember. I think it was pre-calculus. I don't remember, but he was Hispanic. Um, and this was a zero period class. So I think it was like 630 in the morning. And he really push me, um, to do better. Uh, when I first signed up for this class, I was like, all right, let me just do this so I can get out early. You know, I can get out earlier during the day. Um, when I first started doing this class, I was really kind of just, uh, not putting my best effort, I would say. Um, and so he really pushed me and, and, and said like, cause I was doing B work level and he says, no, you can do a lot better. You really you know, applied yourself. And yeah, he really you know, pushed me to, to do it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was just, uh, it was like a real talk that we, that he had between him and I, and I really liked that, uh, you know, he was able to relate to me and you know, we had a similar, uh, you know, growing up, uh, background, but yeah, I mean, there's an, uh, there's another study that, uh, that with schools, I found that, you know, that's, that schools that had more black teachers, um, and, uh, leadership had more, um, black students in, in, in gifted programs. And, you know, basically this goes back to the, uh, the, the movement that I saw myself movement where students were able to see these teachers and, you know, of higher education courses, you know, really pushing for these students to, to have these higher achievements and higher spe- expectations of the students, you know, and when it comes down, you know, if we see representation of students in color in these gifted programs, you know, even further down the line, it's supposed to lead to these students, you know, graduating and then students, you know, getting into college and you know, getting college degrees. Um, but yeah, and, and 
I think there's an, another study where John, the John Hopkins uh, University released a study showing that um, black students are actually 13% more likely to enter college if they had at least one black teacher by the third grade. And then this number actually increased to 32% if they had at least two black teachers uh, in elementary school. Um, but yeah, in the, I think you said you took a ethnic course, ethnic study courses, right? Yes. Was there anything, I don't know, in any of your courses or any of the classes about like, you know, how important representation is and uh, the academic outcomes? Yeah. So I actually um, did a little bit. I did a research paper on how ethnic studies, like the curriculum itself, would um, would benefit students of color. Um, I was able to find a lot of information such as like not even the teacher being of color, but being able to see um, individuals that look like them or learn about individuals that look like them. Um, it really improved their academic outcomes in all areas. Um, so I guess it gave the students like a little bit more of like confidence and being able to like learn about their people made them more motivated. Um, so yeah, that's what I've learned. And that's like the research that I've done. Um, it, I know that they did do it in um, San Francisco Unified. And they said that um, I don't know the numbers at the top of my head, but um, the academic uh, outcomes were like they the students improved from just the first day till I believe like a couple of months, not even a couple of months. I want to say three months. Wow. So, you know, big success in a, in a short amount of period. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I don't know if you remember. What, I mean, was it just academic outcomes, or was it also like behavior and attendance uh, outcomes as well? Yes, behavior too. Um, they seemed more engaged. They wanted to participate. Um, there were no like no one was getting sent to the office because they wanted to be in class. They wanted to learn about their people and where they came from. So I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And the you know one of the most uh, I guess disturbing data that I found was. Uh, non-black teachers actually had way lower expectations on their own black students um, than the black teachers. And so um, I know this, I know the data I keep saying is, you know, for, for black students, but you know, the, the, the data actually shows the same across the board for all, um, you know, minorities, um, you know, non, you know, non-Hispanic teachers have, you know, lower expectations and Hispanic teachers do on their Hispanic students. Um, same thing, you know, with, with the other ethnicities. And again, this goes back to representation, you know, if the students don't really see themselves uh, in the leaders of their community, you know, whether it's a principal or a teacher or a business owner or you know, whatever it is, um, then, then they really don't know what they're capable of. You know, they don't, they don't have that. I, that, that, that mentality, like, Oh, I don't believe in myself. If I don't see a teacher or a person like me, this person who I think is a success, successful, then it doesn't, you know, it's not sending the right message. It's sending like, Oh, you can't do this. Um, you know, you're corning the students, you know, possibilities like you can't be this kind of person you can only be this kind of person you can only have these kind of jobs you know um yeah i mean even going back to you know president obama you know, it's a big deal when you know we had a, a black president you know, let's just you know, send a, a great message and even right now we have a kamala harris you know uh, uh mm -hmm. you know vice president of indian and black descent as well you know, think of the message that it sends to everybody you know um i know her, her family were immigrants as well and so that shows uh you know you know, if you're an immigrant here in the United States and you can hold you know, one of the highest positions in the office, so that, that's, that message is, is important. Representation is everything. Um, and again, I earlier I said that my, uh, my math teacher, Mr. His name was Mr. Guterres and, uh, he really pushed me to do my best. Again, I, uh, I took that class because all I did was wanted to get out early, but I just, you know, really wasn't putting my best effort. And he really pushed me to get that, to turn in my A work. And uh, he made the recommendation for the next semester to take this advanced class. Um, I think it was calculus. I think after pre-calculus, calculus. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, so yeah, he, he really, uh, he really pushed me. Um, I mean, for you, I mean, your experience, how do you, I mean, how do you connect with the students letting them like, Hey, you know, your voice matters, your dreams matters. Like, you know, you can do it. Um, I think for me, it's more of like providing that positive environment for the students where they feel 
safe enough to be able to voice their what voice anything that they would like to say obviously nothing like inappropriate obviously but like being able to just express what they're feeling being able to question me why are we doing this you know like I don't I didn't like that. I never had the opportunity to ask why, like, why was that such a big deal to ask? Why are we doing this? Um, So just showing them that, you know, we in this classroom, we're going to be a community. We're going to respect each other. We're going to hear each other out. Um, So being able to just provide that, I wouldn't say safe space, but brave space for them to be brave enough to open up to me and tell me what's on their mind. Yeah, I like how you say brave space. Uh, you know, it's for some kids who are shy or you know, maybe English language learners, um, just students in general, sometimes are timid. It can, uh, you know, it can take a lot of guts trying to, you know, speak out and ask questions. They, they feel they might ask the wrong question or they might, you know, I'm quoting, I'm using quotes here. They might feel like they're asking a dumb question. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's all about making uh, that work, that welcoming, warm environment. Like, you know, it's, it's okay to ask questions. You know, that's what we're here mm-hmm. to learn. You know, you can't learn without asking questions. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had teachers that actually promote their students to ask questions. Like the, the, the teacher would write down an answer wrong on purpose. And like, you know, come on, y'all ain't going to say something. I wrote the answer wrong. And here you are just copying everything. You know, I'm doing it wrong. Here, here you're all copying my, my wrong answer. But I, I always like those teachers that do promote uh, questioning, um, mm-hmm. not questioning everything, but questioning yeah. uh, you know, things they don't, you know, they don't understand, you know, um, mm-hmm. Because I'm sure you'll have that one student who will question everything like, why are you doing this? Why this? Why this? Why that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll take it too far. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, nearly all of this U.S. school district, students of color actually outpace teachers of color. And uh, you know, there, there are several things to take in consideration. So basically, uh, Latinos make a great share of the student population than the adult population because... I mean, first of all, they're younger, plus teachers stay in the profession uh, for decades. So the data graphs take a long time to see that that significant changes. Um, and you and I both know that teaching is not a lucrative career. Uh, I guess it's part, this is one of the reasons why uh, you don't really see uh, people of color wanting to be teachers or going into the teacher profession. We know it's a low paying job. Um, we know there are... Unhappy. It can be an unhappy workplace, um, and in, you know, in some cases, just uh, some people just don't respect teachers at all. I'm sure we've seen those, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those you know, horrible stories about you know, teachers or students yelling at teachers and cussing them out, and um, but yeah, you know, all the all these things, all these all these can be different factors uh, leading to you know people of color not wanting to be teachers, um, and you know, when you think of immigrants coming here to the United States and, you know, them wanting a better life for their family, for their, you know, for their future generation, uh, you know, having a successful life, you know, um, you know, to most of them, I think, you know, the teaching's not usually at the top of their list um, when they want that when you know, to have a better life, to have that, that high paying job. Um, and I guess, you know, there's also at least why there's such a teacher shortage right now and why we see people of color you know, are less likely to be teachers. For you, did you, did your family have a big influence on you wanting to be a teacher or did they want you to be another profession? Um, so as a Filipino, the typical stereotypical thing, they wanted me to be a nurse. Um, <laughs> so my mom, so my grandma was a nurse and my mom was a nurse and all my cousins and my aunts are all nurses or they work in the medical field. So um, going into my academic journey, they wanted me to go into teaching. I mean, I'm sorry, not teaching, nursing. Um, But it just wasn't for me. I didn't have the passion for it. I don't even like looking at blood. So it just wasn't for me. I did try doing like an LVN program, but I just, I don't know. It wasn't for me. It wasn't. I didn't have the passion for it. And I think that's the reason why I didn't really pursue it. So um, the reason why I pursued teaching was because I just fell in love with the fact that it's just a very rewarding job. Yeah, it's not the best thing, but (laughs) just being able to work with these with students and like um, being able to see students like progress and just be like, I don't know, it's just like a beautiful profession 
in my mind. Um, but I know that there's a lot of like politics behind it. There's a lot of um, things that you don't really see, like the true realities of teaching. But um, at the end of the day, it's very rewarding. And I want to I want to be a teacher. And I'm, that's why I'm in this um, process now. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. There is a lot of behind the scenes that they don't <laughs> teach you in your uh, whatever credential program or teacher preparation program that, that you take. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that uh, no one really tells you about. Um, was there, I mean, this is kind of personal, but I mean, where is there, when you told your family that you wanted to be a teacher, I mean, what, what was their reactions? Um, to be honest, they weren't, well, my dad was very supportive, but my mom was kind of like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Like, um, she was willing to pay for me to go to nursing school, but it just, and I told her, I said, that's your thing. And this is my thing. I, I don't have a passion for nursing. I don't want to do nursing just because of the money. And um, I, I want to do a job that I'm going to be happy at. I, I'm going to enjoy. It's very rewarding. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that nurse that nursing is horrible. It just wasn't for me. That wasn't my cup of tea. And um, so till this day, my mom is still kind of like, in denial of the fact that I don't want to do nursing. I mean, I'm 27 years old. I'm in, I'm about to get my master's. There's like no going back. So <laughs> she just has to deal with it. <laughs> so you'll be the first, uh, first teacher in your family then? Yes. Yeah. First teacher. And then first one to get a master's degree. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. A few months. I'll make sure to reach out and give you your congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. For uh, for me, I originally wanted to be a movie director. I was like, wow, this is an awesome job. Get to make movies, mm -hmm. get paid lots of money. Uh, I guess the Hollywood glamour life, etc. Um, but then I, I got a, a tutoring job. Uh, I think it was called Reading Partners. So I was helping tutor um, in, in these low income areas one on one for, for students to help them you know, uh, improve their reading. I think they were like. I think the qualified, they had to be at least three grade, uh, three grade levels below. And so mm -hmm. that was my intro. Um, I really like being in that mentor, uh, that mentorship, uh, position. And then I did a summer job as a camp counselor. And that was a totally different experience. <laughs> Just uh, the, the tutoring thing was in an indoor environment in a classroom, but then the camp was like an outdoor and all of a sudden there's all these other factors I had no control of, but you know, it was a, it was a good eye opener. Cause we all know like uh, as much as we want to plan, like teaching never really goes according, according mm -hmm. goes according to plan. Um, but yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and that's, that's how it's happened. You know, that, uh, and now, yeah, now I'm taking, and now I'm in charge of these uh, these little ones. But yeah. <laughs> it, we all know, you know how hard it is uh, meeting the requirements of wanting to be a teacher. And, you know, I'm sure you know as well. Like now, not only mm -hmm. you know your bachelor's, and then uh, you know just uh, the credential program itself, and then you got to do the induction, and then all these requirements, and then you have the IEP meetings, et cetera, et cetera, and observations. It can be quite daunting. And uh, we want students to to graduate and to go through that whole process, you know, go through the whole K-12, then college. And uh, if we want future teachers, they have to do the same thing all over again. You know, they got to enroll in a teacher preparation program. They got to graduate, complete their certificates. And it's a lengthy and a very expensive process. And again, I know why it might be discouraging to some, um, again, you know, maybe minorities or people of color, again, when they think of, you know, a better, the whole dream, the American dream, they think of a, you know, really high paying job. And, you know, again, teaching is not at the top of it. And so, um, but for me, and I think the same thing for you, they, you know, it's a very rewarding job. I think the outcomes are totally, mm -hmm. totally worth it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're pretty much in charge of, a. Uh, all other jobs like we uh you know we create future astronauts mm -hmm. and, and dentists and, and doctors etc um but yeah i mean have you growing up have you ever been in a situation where you kind of assimilated with the culture of the classroom like the whole basically like cultural assimilation um i'm i went to uh a private school and um, predominantly of the, the students were white. So um, I, you could say that I did and I was embarrassed of my culture um, at such a young age and I didn't like the color of my skin. I wanted to be white. So yeah, that would definitely be an example of uh, 
a situation that I've been in. And I think I struggled with that the most just because of the people, the people that I was around, I wanted to be like them, but I could, I physically couldn't. Um, and my family kind of told, kind of put it in my head that, you know, being too dark or being too brown, it, it it's not like, it's not pretty. It's not beautiful. Like it, you shouldn't be going out in the sun a lot. So, um, I think I've always had that like embedded in my head and I've always wanted to be white. I've always wanted to have lighter skin. I would question why don't I look like them? Like it it was a lot um, at such a young age. Um, But here I am 27 and I'm finally accepting the color of my skin. It took me a very long time. Um, So, yeah. Mm, And then again, this is a little personal, but did you ever get bullied because I guess color your skin um yeah i did um they would always ask me like oh like why like why do you always look so dirty and it's like wait i'm not dirty it's just the color of my skin because all of them i want to say all of them were white i was probably the only one that was of color i mean there were hispanics but they were like lighter skin so i was like the darkest one in my class Mm, i see yeah, well, I'm glad you're, you know, where you are right now that, you know, for some, it is, it does take a long time to come to that point where you are right now, where they're fully accepting of, you know, of who they are and feeling comfortable in their skin. Um, yeah. And for sometimes, uh, it can be quite hard. Um, some people have a much longer journey, uh, and some people don't ever feel comfortable, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, I've spoken with other teachers about how, uh, basically how, how um, the students felt like they had to like kind of hide or put away certain parts of their culture so that they could fit in with the rest of the class. Uh, an example here is like um, Hispanic student in a predominantly white classroom and uh, the student basically kind of stopped talking about them certain parts of the heritage just so that they could they can try and fit in with the rest of the classroom. Um, in my classroom, I want students to be proud of their heritage. I mean, and that don't I don't ever feel like I need to you know shut it down or like you know just be proud of you this is who you are um especially for, for, for my kiddos uh you know they bring food from home and I'm always asking like oh what do you have there you know mm-hmm. that's awesome I always ask you know, what what do you have to eat and I say oh that looks yummy um or something you know, kids they sing songs in their their native language oh what are you singing I'm always asking I'm always curious um Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because I, I want to know more about these students and for, for you know for me growing up I was bilingual um Spanish and English and then I think it was kindergarten but basically I guess my kindergarten teacher told my parents like I should stop speaking Spanish <laughs> and uh thinking about it now it's a uh, it's quite uh, a hurtful experience you know luckily later mm-hmm. on in uh, in high school I picked up Spanish again thanks to my uh, Spanish teacher and uh you know being bilingual is a, is a blessing you know it's a great asset to have uh pretty much in all situations, you know, especially if you're a teacher wanting to get hired. And, uh, you know, my, my Spanish teacher really treated us like, uh, an extension of her family. She saw us more like, like her children instead of students, um, because she saw us in her and she was, she was Colombian. And, uh, that really resonated with me and she would incorporate as much as she could about her Colombian heritage (laughs) and all the lessons. Um, yeah. Her name is Miss Munoz, Miss Munoz. And so basically, uh, she, you know, on day one, she, you know, she told us like, Hey, uh, be proud of who you are. Um, let's, you know, it's, uh, you have the history is everything. And, uh, again, she saw us as her children first and then students. She really looked out for our well being. She's really took the time to ask about us. Like, where are you from? You know, what about your parents? Are you first generation? Like, you know, what are your siblings, et cetera. And again, she, she really tried to promote and, uh, you know, promote our independency and our, and our, uh, our, our cultural identity. How do you, for you, how do you promote, I guess, cultural identity with your uh, students? Um, for me, I think it's like more of providing, as like I said before, providing that like welcoming environment um, and being able to let the students just be able to talk about their culture. Um, maybe like implementing a lot of like um, culturally relevant lessons where the students are able to 
tell us like, oh, this is what we do on certain traditions or and be able to learn from each other. Um, I think the biggest thing is like being able to show representation within your classroom, like providing books that have uh, um, that have like stories of what your like what your students are like. For example, like uh, one that I would have is um, the journey uh, to justice. So it's like a Larry Itliong book, which is a story about a, a Filipino farm worker. Um, there's just so many books out there that you could also put within your classroom, um, posters that a lot of teachers that I know on the teachergram are making, which is super inspiring. Um, so just providing that space for them and being able to like t- being able to like talk to them and really get to know like their culture and what they do. Yeah. Good old, uh, good old teacher Graham. That's uh, a, <laughs> it's a great, no, it's a great way to collaborate. I mean, like, you know, t- 10 years ago, it wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't thought of a place to collaborate, you know, reaching out mm-hmm. to teachers on uh, Instagram or Twitter and you know, on YouTube. Now it's a, it's a great way, you know, you can collaborate with teachers across the country and you know, across the world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. For, I know, People usually think of picture books as just for the younger grades, but I think if you have picture books you know, of different cultures, and that's totally appropriate for all grade levels, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, again, I know it's uh, people think, oh, it's just for, for the little ones, for the first graders, but again, you have pictures, and you know, if, if they're actual pictures, not just illustrations, you know, it's a great way mm-hmm. to show uh, and what the, the cultures like in different, you know, you know, different parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And here in California, there um, there are actually several districts like uh, Santa Clara and San Jose, Sonoma, and San Francisco. What they're trying to do to help um, hire and maintain teachers of color is uh, they're trying to approve like to subsidize housing for teachers. And basically, mm-hmm. like in forty seven school districts um, in the Bay Area region. The, the highest paid teachers only earn enough to rent an affordable, like one bedroom apartment. And this is like based on the federal definition of affordable housing, which is supposed to be 30% or less of what your household income is. And, uh, you know, as you can see, subsidized housing is, uh, quite, uh, an incentive for teachers. Um, because you know, the, the trick is not only just finding quality teachers that are of color, but it's, it's hard trying to keep them and you're trying to retain them. And uh, I guess it's just one of the ways that uh, districts are trying to, you know, are getting creative in order to retain them. And here in California, you know, about 40,000 teachers uh, in the state, you know, between 2000, 40,000 teachers um, left the state between 2013 and 2017, because <laughs> we know how expensive <laughs> California is living in. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, here's the catch with the subsidized housing. There's, there's always a catch, but the catch with the subsidized <laughs> housing is that, you know, you can only be in there. You can only be in the subsidized housing program for seven years max. Um, they think by that time you should pretty much have saved enough uh, money to, to be able to afford, uh, you know, the crazy cost of living in California. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the teachers that I was able to interview for that are currently right now in the subsidized housing, you know, basically just says once the, the seven years is up, I'll probably just leave the state or look for <laughs> another profession entirely. Cause again, this is, it's, it's wicked expensive living here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I have heard teachers, uh, that, that will live in one County and then drive to work in the next County. I have a teacher that lives in Riverside County, drives the two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, not anymore, but cause the distance starting, but drives two hours to LA County just cause it's, it's cheaper living in, in Riverside County. Um, I, I know this is a little bit off topic, but I mean, what do you think about the, you know, how districts are trying to get creative, like trying to, you know, get you know, quality teachers of color by you know, offering the subsidized housing? Um, I mean, it's an, a cool idea, but I feel like in a sense, it's just not like, like you said, like it's only for seven years max. And then they think that by then that you'll have a good enough income for you to own your own house in California. Like, are they crazy? <laughs> like, that's insane. I used to live in San Francisco and I used to rent a room, sh- shared a room for, and I would pay $840 a month. So it's just insane that they think that, oh, well, you could only have, let's just do that. You could have it for seven years and then by then you should be okay. And I also feel like it's kind of like, um, how would I put this? Um, 
like I understand their concept, but it's also like in a sense, like in the littlest way, like kind of condescending of like, oh, well, we want to keep these teachers of color. So let's try and do some like affordable housing for them. Like in a sense, like kind of putting us in a category once again, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a, again, yeah. I know is this this is a big teacher shortage, and I, they're just getting, you know, they're trying to find more and more ways to really you know, get teachers. I, I know there's job fairs that are starting way earlier now. Um, you know, they're even promoting is giving you a little bit more incentive if you uh, you know come work for our district, even though you're not completely done with your credential program. And so mm-hmm. I just uh, yeah, I just you know I know representation is everything. You know, we, you know, we see a teacher that looks like us, but. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit more help would be nice uh, yeah. you know, for us. <laughs> and uh, I, I will say that, you know, part of the problem with uh, wanting representation with teachers is that, um, you know, again, everyone knows it's not a well-paying job. I and mean, going back to like, you know, if you think of first generation college students, you know, again, when families immigrate here, they want a better life for their kids. Again, teaching is not the, it's not usually the top, uh, the top job that people think of. Um, mm-hmm. And when you do actually think of a teacher of color, you usually think of them teaching in an urban school district or in, the, or in urban schools where you know, the students have much higher needs, uh, there's less mm-hmm. resources. And, you're going to be burned out. You know, people, the teacher burnout is just much higher and, you know, teachers of color are less likely to remain in the profession than their white, you know, their white teachers, because they're more likely to be in these urban districts, you know, with less funding, these high demanding responsibilities. And they just feel like they're overstretched doing all these hundreds of things, you know, like, you know, like an image I have is an octopus, like their hands doing all these different things all at once wearing all these hats. Um, and the retention rate for, for white teachers is actually 85% while Hispanic teachers is 79 and then black teachers is, is 78. Um, you know, for, for, for you, like the school district where I guess you're teaching right now, I don't know. Do you notice any trends, I guess, with ethnicity, you know, maybe, you know, teachers, uh, maybe certain teachers teach this or, um, or even guess, I don't know if even your teacher preparation program. Like, are you asking like, what are they predominantly like the teachers in my, in the school that I'm teaching in? Yeah. Like, I mean, first of all, is, is you, I mean, would you say your school district's urban? No. Okay. And then I guess from there, like, what would you say that you know, the majority of the ethnicity for the teachers is? Um, so since I'm at like a Mandarin immersion school, um, there are mainly um, uh, yes. white teachers and then there's also uh, Chinese teachers. Um, but even within just the, the, cause for the Chinese teachers, they teach Mandarin. So even just for like the general teachers, it's mainly white. There's probably one teacher that is Hispanic and then that's it. There's nothing uh-huh. else. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, worst thing that I see is basically, you know, if you have a school where it's mostly white teachers and then you have a few teachers of color, um, basically what they do is uh they make those teachers of color kind of be like the spokesperson for all the teachers of color and all the students of color and this is just insane mm-hmm. you know just because uh, you know just because i'm hispanic doesn't mean i have to represent all the you know all the hispanic teachers all the hispanic students in the, in the district and you know this is just insane assuming that one person knows all the experiences of everybody just because we share that you know it's just because mm-hmm. we have the same skin color uh yeah you know it's it's crazy and you know one thing i do strive for in the classroom is really pushing students for the, the full potential even if they don't see it in themselves um you know everybody benefits from a diverse classroom of teachers and students the world we live in is diverse and if we I mean, like you said earlier we start exposing students to you know different cultures and languages and food and etc you know ethnicities you know, basically we're preparing them for the real world you know i'm not going to work in an environment where i only work with one race or one ethnicity it's a, it's a diverse diverse world we live in and uh you know after having this representation in the classroom i really like pushing for or actually i really like celebrating diversity you know, as i mentioned earlier it's not just accepting but celebrating um you know and there's different ways to celebrate diversity in a positive way um again my uh, spanish teacher um she really wanted us to celebrate 
uh, our heteridge, our heteridge, and she really wanted to celebrate you know, her, her heteridge. She was Colombian. And uh, on day one, she basically what she did, she asked like, all right, you know, what, are, what do you think of when you think of Colombians? And like, I mean, basically everyone said, oh, drugs. You know? <laughs> and she's all right. She said, okay, put that aside. He's all like, yeah, that's, those are your, you know, that's what you think of. But, you know, you know Colombia is just so much more. It's just, you know, it's a beautiful country, you know, beautiful culture, the music, the clothes, you know, the language, you know. And so it really kind of opened our eyes because, you know, again, we had a very limited, you know, as a high school, I had a very limited knowledge of what Columbia was from what I saw in TVs and the movies and et cetera. You know, the bad guy, they're the drug, drug kingpins. And, you know, we, she was able to show us just like how beautiful this country is. And, uh, and again, she, she made us do reports on different, uh, you know, the different like 23 countries that speak Spanish and, and when I was able, you know, able to find out like, you know, there's, there's a country in Africa, like Guinea Equatorial that speaks Spanish. And, oh, wow. and, and so, yeah, basically, you know, you know, I fell in love with Venezuela, Ecuador, and we were able to really learn about the different, uh, you know, the different countries that spoke Spanish and uh, that speak Spanish and we're really able to celebrate that. But, but you know, for you, I mean, how do you, I, again, I think you said, you know, you, for you celebrating diversity in your classroom, I think you said it just starts with a, a welcoming environment, right? Yeah. Just already from the get, like just already having representation within the classroom, um, I think is a huge thing. And actually like acknowledging like the different, like black history month, Filipino heritage month, like diff- the Mexican, uh, Hispanic heritage month, like different things. And just, um, acknowledging that in your classroom is definitely like one way you could celebrate diversity in your classroom. And just also like kind of like planning your lessons based upon like your students' interests as well. Like one example that I thought of is doing a read aloud with the students um, about how um, a child learns how to cook pancit, which is a cultural dish in the Filipino culture. And then I was thinking of having the students be able to make a whole um, recipe book of the different kind of cultural um, dishes that they make at home with their families. So just little things like that um, to show like uh, the that you're um, celebrating diversity and showing that you um, you're providing that like cultural environment. Yeah. Food, uh, your know, food banquets or, uh, you know, potlucks are always a fun way to show, uh, mm-hmm. the different diversities. And, um, yeah, yeah. I know, you know, as a, as a child, you know, growing up, if you see this food, like, oh, you know, some students might say, ew, you know, what is that? You know, that, that looks funny. Uh, you know, but you know, once you, you try it, or you, you tell the students like you know, just because we uh, eat different things, we dress differently, you know, we speak a different language, you know, we might pray to a different God, you know, we should, you know, you know, be accepting, you know, it's, um, of their, you know, of our differences. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm Hispanic, and uh, last year again, I was in the Garden Grove area, and again, big Vietnamese population. I had several Vietnamese students in my classroom, and I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I don't know everything. I, I knew a few things about the Vietnamese culture, so I took it upon myself to to do a little research and, you know, really become myself acquainted with, uh, with the culture and you know, what they celebrate. And uh, you know, if there's something I didn't know, uh, there was sometimes I was just asking the students. You know, I was asking like, you know, can you tell me more about this? Um, and uh, they they enjoyed it. You know, they like sharing. They like talking about themselves. They like talking about their families and their upbringing. Um, you know, of course, I, I did try and do my research every now and then, trying to figure out like, all right, um, you know, what can I find out? Um, but yeah, it's uh, families enjoyed it when I when I asked like, oh, you know, how's the family? You know, how are the kids? How you know, how do you celebrate New Year's, etc.? You know, what holidays do you celebrate? And you know. It's a, it's, it's a great way to show that I care and it's a great way of connecting with the students. You know, not only do I find out the interests of the family, find out the interests of the students as well. You know, what, you know, what matters to them, you know, just cause they're part of this culture, you know, there are certain things that they do value in that culture, you know, whether like, you know, maybe they don't value religion as much, but they do value uh, certain other traditions. And so I was able to really uh, find out about, um, you know, about my students and you know, what their values were. For you, how do you, I guess, how do you educate yourself about the different cultures in your classroom? Um, for me, it's definitely like the steps that you took doing more research on the, the culture. Um, 
actually taking the time to get to know my students, see where they come from, even look at their files sometimes, um, just to like really know um, their home life, just like you, like getting to know their family, what's important to them. Um, I think like aside from like the whole COVID thing, if COVID wasn't happening right now, I would definitely want to try and make like home visits so I could get to know the family a little bit more better, a little bit more. Um, so that I could, you know, like see like their, their culture, what, what they do, their traditions, um, just trying to get to know them and really know like what their interests are. Um, and yeah, those are some things that I would do. Yeah. For me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah this COVID wasn't happening. I mean, you know, I'm all for interactions. I love the interactions. I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> encouraging the interactions. Um, yeah. We, you know, we have all these different cultures in the classroom, but if we don't mingle, you know, if, if I just stay seated in my seat, you know, look mm-hmm. straight ahead and don't look to my friend, you know, my classmate to the left or to the right and don't talk, then how am I going to find out? How am I going to interact? How am I going to learn more about, uh, you know, the different culture? And uh, you know, the, I guess the analogy that I have here is you know, we have this library and with books from all different parts of the world. But if all you do is just walk around and just read the, the, the bind, you know, the, the spine of it or the covers, you know, a book of India, a book of, you know, Africa, a book of et cetera. But if you don't read it, you know, if you don't take the time to actually look at the contents and you know, you're only, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice. Same thing in the classroom. You know, you have all these students, you know, great mix of all these students from different parts of the world of different cultures. And if you don't have them interact, then you're, not, you're doing your, not only yourself a disservice, but for the students as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm all for promoting interaction, you know, lots of group work, you know, small group, whole group, uh, pure one-on-one, you know, partner work. Uh, yeah. It's just really building that interaction in that community in the, in the classroom for you. How do you, I mean, do you, do you promote a lot of interactions? I mean, yeah. I mean, given the COVID current COVID situation, but do you like try and promote uh, interactions uh, with the students so they can, I guess, learn more about e- each other? Yeah, I mean, it's from a six feet distance because they can't do like pair share or group work, which is kind of sad because I feel like in second grade, like that they love group work, like they love to work with each other. Um, But they they still like interact with each other. They still interact with the kids, even the kids virtually because they could hear them. So it's nice to see them like come together and actually talk to each other like with the whole like uh, Lunar New Year, it was amazing to see like the students being able to like share like, oh yeah, um, I practice like this tradition on Lunar New Year. And then another student was able to share. And um, for the students that weren't, um, the, that didn't celebrate it, it was like a learning experience for them of like, oh, like that's cool that you get to like do that on your special day. Yeah, yeah. What is, so what is, uh, can you tell me more about this activity? What is this like lunar, lunar new year? So lunar new year is like Chinese new year, Vietnamese new year. It's, um, it's like a celebration of the new year. So it's like our new year, but different. Um, so like for Vietnamese, we do, um, a lot of eating, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they pass out red envelopes. Um, you get in your traditional, uh, wear. Um, so yeah, it's just like a celebration of the new year. Um, they do fireworks, firecrackers, all those, all that good stuff. So, um, and I personally, I'm not very, um, educated on my Vietnamese, um, heritage, um, just because I wasn't very exposed to it as a child, I was more exposed to like my Filipino culture. Um, so all of this was like being able to, I was learning side by side with my students, learning about my own culture. So I think that was very um, inspiring and eye opening. Mm, yeah. I forgot. So yeah, you, you know, you come in a position where you're, uh, you have two different cultures and you know, that's, uh, that's, that's neat. And, you know, I don't, uh, sometimes I don't think about that for some students, you know, that might be you know, mixed or they have different cultures in them. You're really, uh, really having them, you know, listen to, to, you know, their whole culture, their, you know, the whole background, you know, not just, you know, p- focusing on one side, maybe because one side is more popular. Like, for example, like, you know, uh, I had a student that was a mix, uh, a mix of uh, Mexican El Salvador, you know, just cause, Mexico is a more heard of country doesn't mean we should ignore the El Salvador part of this, of the student. Uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to look at the whole child as well. Uh, 
Yeah, it's it's uh it's important to acknowledge and, and celebrate uh you know, every student and the whole student as well. Again, and when we think of students, you know, I'm not just like I it's not like I just look at a paper and like all right, you know, this is a a B student or oh, this is an A student. They're more than just test scores and letter grades. You got to take mm-hmm. the time to to know them and their family and know what is it dealing with, you know, their, their upbringing, what's going on when they get home, like. So I, I try and pay attention, pay attention a lot to the younger siblings because most likely I will be having their younger siblings in my classroom in the future. And so it, it's if you think about it, it's, it's an investment, um, whether it's a one school year with them in your classroom, whether it's a five year long investment, you know, like K through five or a six year, you know, K through six in your, in your school or just, you know, an 18 year long uh, investment in the, you know, the K to 12. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a big investment and, you know, we're there to let the students know that you know, it's okay to be different. Um, and then, you know, we shouldn't uh, make fun of people because they're different and, you know, just because they speak a different language, you know, have a different religion, uh, whatever it may be, you know, that uh, we you know, not only accept, but celebrate it. Um, but yeah, I, I, with the younger ones, it's a little tricky um, to kind of speak their mind <laughs> yeah. <laughs> without, <laughs> yeah, without a filter, like, like Ew, what's that? Or that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really try and kind of teach them how to compliment and how to like these sentence frames, you know, how to ask questions without being offensive. Like, you know, instead of asking like, Oh, why does that look yucky? You know, like, Oh, they can say, Oh, what's that? (laughs) Or instead of saying, you know, if someone speaks a different language or, uh, you know, yeah, if someone speaks a different language or, you know, says a prayer in a different language, instead of saying like, you know, why does such and such sound funny? Let's say, you know, in a nicer way, like, you know, what are you saying? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's very different with the, with the younger ones. Again, they don't have a filter. But I really yeah. try and uh, <laughs> really try and teach them how to you know how to accept people's differences, and I really how to you know be a little bit more careful with the way they uh, ask their questions. Uh, but yeah, no, no, for for you, I mean, I know uh, you were the younger ones, right? Are you yeah. There? So I I have second grade, so yes, they do speak their mind. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have to like kind of help guide them and like being a little bit you know here's a respectful way of asking. Yeah, so like I try to like kind of like rephrase, like th- have them think about what they said and like what is how what's a better way to say that or wh- what can we do to make that sound better? Um, make them really think about it. I don't want to like give them the right thing to say. I I really want them to reflect on like oh yeah maybe what I said wasn't the kindest thing to say. Um, so definitely like doing that, um, to help them like be, be a little bit more understanding and respectful that there's different kinds of foods. And yes, sometimes it doesn't look yucky, but for all you know, it could taste delicious. So just asking questions and just really getting to know like their, their, their peers and being respectful to them. Yeah. They, uh, again, the, the joke is, uh, again, they don't have filters. Sometimes they will call you out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, we start young with the little ones and having the representation, you know, inclusion, you know, also tackles the big problem that, you know, everyone's worrying about right now is you know, bullying. And now we have bullying, you know, we have cyberbullying as well. And so mm-hmm. by really you know, pushing this whole like inclusion representation, again, no one should feel like they have to suppress their identity or that they should hide certain parts of their culture. Um, you know, you know, we were setting up our students to be, you know, be more acceptance and have tolerance and skew communities, everything. If we teach our students to understand like, Hey, you know, it's okay if I'm different from you know, my, my, my classmate and it's, it's okay. Um, you know, that we should respect each other, you know, just cause they're different. Doesn't mean, uh, it's weird. Doesn't mean I'm better. Doesn't mean it's, you know, they talk funny. It's, we acknowledge I mean, our strengths and our weaknesses. Um, and for me, I really try and pair, uh, and group my students to really compliment each other. Uh, I think two years ago, I think I had, uh, I would pair my English language learning students with some of my, uh, 
higher achieving bilingual students and uh they they were you know they were able to connect you know because you know my ELL students were a little bit shy of speaking out they were mm-hmm. a little bit more hesitant of uh, trying to ask a question in front of the class and they were more willing to ask you know their their classmate their you know their their you know, classmate that speaks the same language and that really helped build a sense of community for for me have you have you had a similar experience as well like trying to I guess uh, create that sense of community. Um, yeah, I, so I used to work as like, um, and as an after school program leader. Um, so I would have students from fourth, fifth and sixth grade. So as you know, fourth, fourth, fifth and sixth is a lot of like emotions and like they're going through a lot of changes. So, um, I would like actually try and implement a lot of SEL lessons so that they they could be able to like speak to each other, get to know each other on a deeper level. This was before COVID, obviously. Um, so they would be like be able to get to know each other. And it was amazing to see that these students would actually interact with each other um, during like actual school time. Because since they were from different grades, they um, at first they didn't want, they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to that fourth grader. Like they're a little baby, blah, blah, blah. You know how that goes so like I knew that I needed to establish a community within the class within that classroom and within that time that I had with them and it really showed um that it just takes that simple step of like being able to provide that space for the students and them doing it on their own one thing I I guess I'm kind of on the fence is is clicks uh Mm. when I understand there might be certain benefits of clicks, but at the same time, you know, clicks kind of does shun out certain students, uh, yeah. or it really, you know, put certain students in the, in the corner as well. And so I had some, like in two years ago, you know, I had students that moved in from, they came from a different district, um, or, you know, English language learner or whatever it may be. Um, again, you know, it might, they feel like an outsider coming into a brand new school, you know, a brand new classroom. And so I, uh, I really, you know, let them know like, all right, you know, who's going to, who's going to help, uh, you know, such and such uh, out on the player kind of who's going to help such and such get their lunch or who's going to, you know, help such and such, you know, find where the library is. Um, and I made it, you know, I made a responsibility of, of the class of the students because again, you know, we have these clicks, you know, these clicks, you have these students that are already like, they know each other and they, you know, they might shun out a certain student, like, oh, you know, this student's uh, an English language learner. Oh, this student is, is this or whatever it may be. So, again, I really try to promote, like, you know, this is our responsibility to take care of, to take care of all of our, all of our friends here, all of our classmates. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, growing up, did you, I don't know, did you notice that there were cliques in your school? Oh, yeah. There was, <laughs> there was like, Oh, even though it's just like playing kickball, like if you didn't get picked at a certain time, you knew that you weren't part of the cool crew or the good people. So, yeah, you see it. I think even now as like adults, you do see clicks sometimes, which is very interesting because we're adults. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I definitely saw it um, as a as a kid. Yeah. But yeah, as uh, you know, as, as we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to new teachers or those thinking about entering the educational field? I know uh, we said a lot of statistics that can be daunting, but <laughs> for those who <laughs> to really encourage them, is there any advice that you would say? Um, for new teachers, so like teachers like me that are like student teaching, like you guys are brave and give yourself grace. Like we are literally doing this through a pandemic and um, just keep pushing and you'll get through it. And for those who are thinking of going into the educational route, um, I know it may seem like kind of like scary at first because of the time that we're in right now, but trust me, it will be so rewarding. Like even just being remote or hybrid or in person, like it's such an amazing experience and you will learn so much. Um, so definitely think about it and really make that decision because it's a great profession. <laughs> yeah, it is by far the most rewarding uh, experience out there. Most definitely. All right. And with that being said, this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you to today's guest, Chelsea, and uh, most importantly, you, the listeners. See you next.
next time.